I've been stuck here for the past two days. I'm yeah. trying to get in. I went to the Americans. They pushed me out. They kicked me out. I went yeah. to the Germans. They beat me out with the sticks. They fired us. You see yes. It's August 2021, and America's longest war is coming to an end. Though not in a fashion anyone would have dared imagine just weeks ago. A dramatic withdrawal of US forces by President Joe Biden has seen the collapse of the Afghan government, which Washington spent billions propping up in just a matter of days. On August 15th, Kabul, the capital, falls to the Taliban. Barely a shot is fired. President Ashraf Ghani has already fled, sneaking out on a helicopter in the early morning. I've instructed the military, whatever they need, if they need additional force, I will grant it to get as many people out as we can within the time frame that is allotted. Now, a deadly rush begins. Crowds have begun flocking to the airport. Videos show desperate people clambering up air bridges. Another shows young men sitting on the wings of a C-17 as it prepares to take off. The scramble to get out of Afghanistan has truly begun. You're listening to Beyond the Headlines. I'm your host, Gareth Brown. And this week, we're reliving the evacuation of Afghanistan and speaking to those who were left behind. Before we start, make sure to subscribe to Beyond the Headlines to get the latest episodes. And if you haven't heard it already, check out our mini-series, The Blast, about what led to the Beirut port explosion and who is responsible. As thousands of US and Western troops are redeployed to Kabul to secure the Hamid Karzai International Airport, the US calls on all available aircraft to begin what will become the largest civilian air evacuation in history, dwarfing the US's evacuation of Saigon almost 45 years earlier. It isn't the flights out of Afghanistan that are the problem. There are hundreds of military aircraft and requisitioned commercial planes standing by to get people out. It's getting into the airport that is the real challenge. Much of the processing is being done through Abbey Gate, a small entrance at the southeast of the airport. Nearby is the Barron Hotel, where those being taken out on UK evacuation flights are processed and then taken into the airport through the gate. To get to these gates, you have to navigate Taliban checkpoints and huge crowds. It's an ugly scene. People are wading through a sewage canal that runs parallel to the airport wall. They wave flags and signs, desperate to catch the attention of the onlooking British and American soldiers. Crowds mass, men, women and children, some with foreign passports or offers of asylum. Others have nothing but the clothes on their back. All are desperate to get out, away from the clutches of the Taliban. Along the airport road, Taliban checkpoints are manned by members of the brutal Haqqani network. They're on crowd control, armed with guns, whips and lists of collaborators. Even if you pass the Taliban, getting into the airport is not guaranteed. Here's a voice note I received from a British man caught in the queue. Right by British soldier, and they're not letting me in. It's desperate, and one thing is clear. Nobody knows quite what is going on, nor what exactly the process is. Ahmed Ahmed Zai, another Brit, a taxi driver from Glasgow, describes the scene. It was a tea tsunami of the people and that moment and there. The more I would, I, I, I did try like to get us 
close as I can, but I was still like 25 to 30 meters away from the Americans, so they couldn't hear me. But I was getting squeezed and squeezed. There was a wave. So I says, no, no, leave, 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 leave. And then uh, I just hear these voices and noises. And then we just turned back, and there was like people were just walking faster and faster. I thought, well, I just got scared like from the kids. And then and I left the scene. When he talks about his kids there, Ahmed is referring to his newborn baby. His wife has given birth barely a week prior, on August 19th, Afghanistan's Independence Day. He battles the crowd with a newborn baby in his arms. Ahmed left Afghanistan in 2001 as the US invaded. It took him two years to reach Britain, where he was eventually granted asylum and then a British passport last year, almost 20 years after fleeing the Taliban. He'd returned to visit his family when the Taliban took over. The tragic scenes spawn a huge volunteer response. It's been dubbed Dunkirk by WhatsApp, a play on the operation that saw hundreds of thousands of Allied troops evacuated from northern France in World War II by small fishing boats. I spoke to one of the volunteers involved who is coordinating evacuees via WhatsApp from the UK. It was a scramble to actually get inside. This is Luke Pearce, a journalist and a good friend of mine. As the crowds swell outside the airport, a group of former soldiers, diplomats and journalists, including Pearce, is trying to help, all from thousands of miles away. So, you know, we basically did our best to try and find them away into the airport. And so, you know, we would be up all night trying to coordinate between the guys trying to run these operations on the ground, um, trying to get these people into the airport who needed the help, but also keeping in touch with um, the, the evacuees themselves as well, trying to sort of reassure them where we could, try and tell them where to go geographically. With the growing crowds, the danger is obvious. Classified notes from a meeting at the Pentagon leaked to the website Politico showed General Mark Milley, the chair of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, warning of significant intelligence that ISIS-K, the Islamic State's affiliate in Afghanistan, was planning a complex attack. Commanders claimed that Abbey Gate, where American citizens were gathering to gain entrance to the airport, was the highest risk. US Secretary of Defence Lloyd Austin was quoted as saying, I don't believe people get the incredible amount of risk on the ground. On another call, US commanders said they planned to close Abbey Gate but decided to keep it open to allow Britain to continue its evacuation efforts based out of the nearby Barron Hotel. The gate remained open, allowing Britain to get thousands more out in the final days of the evacuation. But then, tragedy struck. Thousands gathered outside the gate on that Thursday morning, among them Ahmed, his family and many, many others. Zia al-Haq, a Briton standing nearby, describes what he saw in the aftermath of the explosion. I saw some, about maybe about five bodies uh, just in the water, and there were so many others, but I just, uh, I was, it was possible to see just only five there. It was uh, lying down in the water, uh, in the sea, in that dirty water, you know. So there, it's about like, about eight to ten people was lying there next to that, uh, where the soldier was, you know. In blast, small blast, it was, was something was thrown on the wall after about, maybe about eight minutes later. He describes losing his belongings and his clothes being ripped from him in the blast. Close, and there was a, um, well, I mean, like a shaving machine in Erno's uh, uh, documents, like uh, naturalization, British naturalization, uh, citizenship, and also my PCU license. Ahmed had left the scene moments before. I was literally five minutes ago, like I was just there at the crowd, and we just left. Um, and that, that was like the bomb blast after five minutes we, when we left the scene. So 
uh, I was just so glad. I thought, well, if I was hanging like for more five five minutes more, so I would have been. I mean, you know, I would have been dead. Also in the crowd was an Afghan special forces soldier called Mahim. For several years, he's fought alongside US and UK forces against both the Taliban and ISIS, making him a prime target for retribution under the Taliban regime. He actually made it into the airport, though not for long. The blast left more than 170 Afghans and 14 US service members dead. It was the deadliest day for US forces in Afghanistan in a decade. The first time they said the, the British guys said, yeah, okay, we will get them all of that. It was, uh, it was 33 guys. Just they are keep it to five guys. The other guys escaped outside. Uh, two days ago, we was to in back of the door and the camp uh, barroom, the gate, uh, back of the camp barroom, the gate. We was got on there and also we were inside the, the gate. But British guys is kicking me and my friends. When Kabul fell, his application for a special immigrant visa, or SIV, the visa offered by the US to Afghans who worked with or for coalition forces, was still pending. This was an issue for thousands of Afghans who had helped US forces. Luke Pierce explains just how important getting your hands on a visa is. Essentially, two, well, so the SIV is um, a type of US visa, uh, which was set out for anybody that had helped the US government over the last sort of 20 years, and, and the ARAP is the British version. So um, essentially, if you were a translator or any kind of, uh, I suppose, special forces, or you had had some kind of contract with the Americans or the Brits or, or other or other nations uh, during the, the, the 20-year war, that gave you a, a sort of right to escape, escape the country. So a lot of people did already have these. Um, others were sort of applying for these on the fly, so they were trying to get it. Obviously, there's an enormous backlog. As the bodies begin to pile up in Kabul's hospital, Ahmed returns to a friend's home. It's safe there, at least for now. Speaking to him on the phone, I can sense the dejection in his voice. He's too fearful to return to the airport the next day. And just as well, UK Defence Secretary Ben Wallace, at this point, is advising Brits still in Kabul to make for the land borders. We will process those people that we have brought with us, the thousand people approximately inside the airfield now, and uh, we will seek a way to continue to find a few people in the crowds where we can, but overall the main processing has now closed uh, and we have a matter of hours. The sad fact is not every single one will get out. The threat is obviously going to grow the closer we get to leaving. As the final RAF flight takes off in the early hours of Sunday morning, Ahmed realises he's been left behind. When the deadline for US troops' departure arrives on August 31st, the United States has evacuated more than 122,000 people from Afghanistan in barely two weeks. The UK took out another 15,000. But not everyone made it out. As the evacuations took place, I was in touch with dozens of British nationals and Afghans eligible for evacuation. Many of them couldn't get to the airport and now they're stranded. Mahim, the Special Forces officer, is emotional as he speaks on the phone from hiding in Kabul. His breath deepens as he pleads for help. I leave to this country. Please help me. And t- tell to the, all of the government, to in UK, in USA, everyone, where you want to play my, my voice to that peoples, the Afghan soldiers needed help. We all have, uh, 
this this situation is very dangerous for me for my friends that people was work with me and my units everyone is uh, under the the threat but uh, maybe Taliban has killed me they are, they are searching around and uh, the all of PD and district to in Kabul they are fi- uh, searching me they want to find me after the meeting I will they maybe to this this minutes maybe to this time maybe one hour maybe tomorrow maybe next day if uh, every time they capture me they kill me the uk and us governments acknowledge they have left hundreds of their own nationals behind yet even more at risk thousands of afghans who supported coalition troops over the past 20 years as well as public figures journalists feminists and activists The Taliban claim they will allow all those with valid papers the right to leave, but few are convinced. For now, Ahmed, Zia, Momen and countless others are left to fend for themselves. Ahmed is furious at the government he now calls his own. I'm very ashamed to be a British citizen at the moment. And, uh, and I'm really just extremely disappointed that you, you just left all the British citizens. It's not only me, but there are big crowds who are being left behind. And they were not being notified, they were not being asked, they were not being guided, and they were not being asked for help or anything. So they were just left in that situation, in that dangerous situation. No guidance, no nothing. You've been listening to Beyond the Headlines. I've been your host, Gareth Brown. If you've enjoyed this episode, subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app. And if you have time to leave a review, we'd really appreciate it. Thanks this week to all our guests. Some of the names in this episode have been changed to protect individuals still stuck in Afghanistan. This episode was produced by Arthur Edison and Aisha Khan. <laughs>